And welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing. The Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation, Marie Antoinette, Somewhere, and we have newly released Priscilla, all five films directed by Sofia Coppola. So it's a Coppola study, folks. It's going to be a great show. Stay tuned and enjoy. Tom, how's it going? Uh, so going okay on this side of the table. How was your Sophia week? Oh, you know the the feminine charm. Uh, these these are some <laughs> some soft movies, some pink movies. Uh, uh, it, it, it was a week I was kind of looking forward to and dreading at the same time. Um, uh, I, I like doing any any kind of week that I can do five movies from the same director. Uh, Sophia, yes. though, I. I, I did kind of have my mind made up a little bit uh, on her directing style, uh, so okay. I was dreading a little bit. Just I don't know, uh, coming in with a predisposition or anything. When was like the that. last time you paid attention to her? Like, what was the last film you watched of hers? Uh, probably one of the multiple rewatches of Lost in Translation. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, a, that's such a classic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. I'm a little bit. Uh, I've always known the name and known she was like a big name in Hollywood. Sure. I I, I don't know her films. I haven't watched too many of them. Mm. I remember the names of them when they come out and came out. Mm-hmm. Marie Antoinette and Kirsten Dunst, mm. and like, is on the scene a little bit again. Yep, yep. But other than that, and Lost in Translation, you know, I, I haven't known too much. I was excited for Priscilla. I didn't get a chance to watch it. Okay, we'll see if I want to watch it after your take on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm glad you did this week because I, it was a little bit of a soft week as far as new entries. Because last week I was like, okay, what do we, what, what do you think for next week? And right, then, right. Because you were the one who kind of came up with Sophia Week. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there, there was really nothing else to it. Not that Priscilla is even that big of a release, I think, even in comparison to a lot of what A24 has been releasing this year. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, there wasn't really anything. Uh, Taylor Swift is still dominating. She has uh, Five Nights at Freddy's as well. Yeah, yeah. Poor killers. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, poor everything, honestly. <laughs> I mean, to the point that I was in a theater for Priscilla, and two doors down, I heard, I mean, very heard- clearly... All of the sing-along, all of the- <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's how it was for Killers of Fire Moon, too. Yeah, yeah. Very quiet movie to be butted up against. Yeah. And, and, and especially, like, uh, the, the dancing and what's going on in these Taylor Swift uh, showings. Right, like, the children. Right. <laughs> in the theaters, uh, you mean. I, I took a peek. Sometimes it's adults. <laughs> some adults doing some kumbaya, you know. <laughs> they're, they're dancing in a circle. I don't know what the hell. But, yeah, I, I think that was louder than the movie itself. Like, the, yeah. the, the commotion. 
Yeah, because there was no way you saw this in a decent theater, or they, they didn't put this in the goods, <sighs> like the good screens. Yeah, no, they didn't. But it was next to the IMAX theaters that uh, oh, that, yeah, that Swift would have been. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get into right away. Um, this is definitely the one I, I'm least uh, w- was least aware of. Oh, really? With her, and I didn't realize. Yeah, because I, when you had switched this one for Bling Ring, I just actually mm, thought yes. it was a newer movie. Didn't find out it was '99 then. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, but then I do remember the name, and people reference it sometimes, and I don't know uh, what it means or uh, what it's. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big opening for. I mean, talk about a, a feature debut yeah. of uh, you know for a director. I mean, this is this is a pretty. Pretty big film, and uh, I, I think the only reason why Bling Ring was in the consideration was uh, I didn't want such an early lean to studying her career, mm-hmm. but uh, that's really where the hits are at. Okay. All right, well, let's get into it. I mean, this is The Virgin Suicides back mm-hmm. in 1999, and what did we get? How'd you like it? Uh, I liked it quite a bit. I haven't seen this film before, folks. I felt uh, the early spin to her, uh, to this Cop- uh, Sofia Coppola episode, it had the more recognizable titles this way. Apparently not. <laughs> 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 it's like, I had no idea. Um, and, and for a writer-director combo, I wanted to see... How she first rose to fame, besides the name, besides uh, her, you know, her father. I wanted to see what was the what was the electricity that came with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than most directors, this first film really sets a template for Sophia in a great way, uh, mainly for her aesthetic, which kind of how I opened up the episode drips in feminine charm, drips in soft palettes and. And, and a tone that is very unique and, and very much just Sophia's. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's actually surprising uh, how much uh, this first film really captures the template for what she will do moving forward then. Uh, for a feature debut, uh, The Virgin Suicides is, uh, well, it's really in the name, folks. Uh, set in the 70s, pristine middle-class suburbia is disrupted by a string of suicide attempts. Most disturbing of all, they are centered around a group of teenagers, teenage girls in a five-sister family. Um, We view this story through a group of classmates that become obsessed with the sisters, both romantically and morbidly, uh, as we see the last days of their teenage lives flare out. This uh, the tone of the film, well, maybe not the tone of the film, but the tone of the, the narration kind of has a um what's the Stephen King film that they grow up we covered it on the podcast it? no no oh uh, stand by me yes yeah, stand yeah. by me and this has kind of a stand by me aspect in um the narration you know what did we leave behind in childhood mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of thing What's not apparent, though, in that title is the tone the film takes. Believe it or not, I I would really consider this a a dark comedy of sorts, um, mostly for how parental figures are handled and kind of an atypical late 90s cynical narration that is is played over this. But it's also a a deeply psychological film. We're really placed in... um, I don't know. Uh, it's it's an awkward period for all of, all of the characters' lives, uh, and a psychological film that that pairs great with romantic high school tones. The teenage experience is presented as a hazy dream, 
our characters kind of just roam through it and exist in, in this time period where these these suicides are, are on the, the lips of every person in the neighborhood. And also being set in kind of mid-70s, there's also nothing to talk about. So it's like uh, these concepts of gossip, these concepts of eyes on you and expectations. It all blends together. A bit of a bridge with, uh, a bit of a bridge with Killers of the Flower Moon vibes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's what I'm picking up. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> it, it, the connect the dots is that, you know, the, the wake of uh, Scorsese and then everyone in the 90s just making a Scorsese-like. <laughs> so uh, definitely definitely some vibes there. Uh, but it, it, it's slightly surreal, which I mm-hmm. was what I enjoyed the most about it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot about style, tone, and... Sophia's kind of stylistic vision uh, in nearly every one of these films because it really is her hallmark. But when it comes to it, it what's impressive about The Virgin Suicides is it's right here. She she captures it right away. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that comes with, um, you know, again, only with a writer-director. She knows exactly what she wants to achieve with this experience. So, uh, And I, I really did appreciate this spin to, again, kind of a slightly dark comedy, slightly psychological romance. You know, I appreciated it because it was the grim aftermath that the characters exist in that turns that dream into uh, kind of a real nightmare. Again, it's just very interesting. Uh, Nothing like it really done in 99. Hmm. Um, I just just found a lot of value in watching this film in present time. Wow, okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, really great supporting cast here. Uh, we get a brief uh, Danny DeVito. Uh, James Woods is uh, being the dad is my favorite. It's interesting. Uh, James Woods specifically as well. He has a role that is um, you think you have him pinned down, and then like something is flared in the performance uh, that you you suddenly like. Well, I don't know if I really do have this pinned down. It's, okay, it's that, interesting. That's good that things aren't things aren't straightforward with her, which is cool. No, and she's she's very good at setting a vibe, mm, or yes. just you know because I'm just thinking of Lost Translation and just the feeling of that that film gives yep. off a little bit. Yeah. So she's good. She's not. Like, she's not a lightweight in any way. No. You know? She definitely has built a name of herself. So it's cool that her seeds go all the way back. Yeah, absolutely. I think with this cast in 99, as again, as a, as a feature debut, this is admittedly only one you get by being a Coppola, uh, which uh, mm-hmm. I think if this came out today would have the internet crying uh, Nepo baby or whatever, <laughs> you know, the nepotism <laughs> type of critique going on. But I think it pays off here while other films this critique might be worth considering. I think for here, it just hits so well. And uh, that that really kind of captures my feelings on a lot of um, the good side of our films, that the style, what pays off. Is that style always substance? No. Does that style always have teeth or bite? No. But sometimes the style is worth it in itself, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that's what Sophia really knocks out of the park here, folks. Uh, I can say her trademark, without a doubt, is her style and her tone. I would compare this uh, or compare her work here to a little bit of a Wes Anderson vibe, not because they look similar at mm. all, but rather how her style becomes a vehicle for the concept of her movie and story, where a Wes Anderson film you can spot a mile away regardless of what the actual story is concerning yeah, with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in just the same way I feel like Sophia fits in, the, in, in that type of ballpark or that type of vibe. Uh, you can really spot her type of movie uh, because of how it feels, not necessarily the subject matter sure. of it. This starts by separating itself a little in its uh, 1970s high school setting um, and, and feels unique in 99, which what we covered 
it's so much the dominant John Hughes style. Uh, sure, you know, this sure. is in no way your average like high school romance film, which is good. And, and and so much is tuned into the mood of the film. Every scene feels so soft and innocent, and it's as if the whole experience was wrapped in this faded pink felt. And and why I say faded is again the reality of what is happening in the story is is really quite grim. Uh, but it's still kind of wrapped up together, and that is something that we'll absolutely return to for Priscilla, you know, for the new release this uh, this mm, week, okay. because it flirts the same line of being almost a bubbly romance, but something more menacing is right. underneath She's it. able to keep an innocence in the film. Yes. That's kind of sweet and charming in, a, in its own way. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll admit, folks, what actually plays out uh, in the story feels a bit amateur, uh, and, and that's really because it is. This very well may be a strong case for style over substance, uh, which is a critique for some of these films. Uh, folks, if you only knew how much I would be saying that watching all of these films, <laughs> I mean, wow, it really is uh, style over substance in a bad way for some of these. Uh, but I'm happy to say it is style done right here, and so much of Sophia's voice can be felt in the film that is well worth your time. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give The Virgin Suicides, 1999, a 75. Okay, all right, 75, just a good movie there. Absolutely. A uh, little surprising. I, I think the... But... Oh, you, you think it's surprising that it's that uh, In a good high. way, yeah, oh, yeah sure. exactly right. Yeah. For her first major film, like you said. Yeah. But, uh, okay, The Virgin Suicides. Like I said, I did know the name, and I know people reference it. Not, yeah, as, young not as much Dunst. anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Kirsten Dunst, was she in something before this that made her name? Or was this like, did this bring her onto the scene, and then this is what propelled her to get the um I think I think Kirsten Spider-Man Dunst's role. earliest was... Um, was uh, no, no, I think it was an interview with a vampire, I want to say. Okay, something like that? Yeah, yeah some, some sort of vampire story. Okay. Yeah. But still, this came out in 99, because she goes from here, and then she does the Spider-Mans. Really? Right away? Well, pretty much, because Spider-Man yeah. was 2001. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Or 2000 or something like that? I mean, she's on fire right here. She's and then on. she goes away. <laughs> right. And, 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 and we'll see kind of uh, in Marie Antoinette, the same same concept that she's she's at her peak and then she kind of goes away. Yeah. yeah so. Okay. All right. So that's 75% with The Virgin Suicides. Let's go on with uh, 2003's Lost in Translation. Mm. I think that a lot of people know this film, have yeah. seen it. And I feel like it, it's, for as long as like I've been aware of films or like old enough to like comprehend stuff or what's going on. Sure. And, this has always been a known, light, indie, almost art, oh, ki- yeah. art kind of film. And I always thought it was like older. I always thought this was 99 or like oh, really? 2001. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's not. It's 2003. Still a very young Scarlet Scarjo. Yes, yes. Uh, She's 19? We covered Ghost World on a few episodes uh, episodes back of the podcast. And uh, still just as young. And you can tell in her voice that it's... Uh, it's the gravelly voice that she has, she, but it's it's just not there. You know, yes. Now she does. Yeah, but she she doesn't sound like a little kid. No. Her voice no. just he, she has the deep that deeper gravelly yeah gravelly yeah, yeah. voice that makes her. Where with Ghost World, it was kind of like oh she was, she okay, was actually gotcha. a child. So <laughs> well because this could be so. I feel like if you don't have her or her voice or the yeah. way how she can come across older, I mean this would be super weird. Uh, it's a little weird already. Okay. <laughs> Right. Lost in translation. Yeah. Let's. How was it returning back to it? Well, I, I think it, this it, it, again was was the movie I had nerves with because uh, this oh, is a really? movie that I wanted to return to for the podcast. It's not rated uh, on on our on our data. On the master list. Yeah. No. I, exactly. Oh, I was, I was surprised. This, yeah. Really running into this a lot. 
<laughs> one I would just assume, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, my, I'm on the same page there. Been on Netflix for a while now. Yeah, yeah. I just figured that. And, and again, I, it's it's something that I've seen multiple times and have sought out multiple times. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, shockingly, it wasn't on there. So good to get on the podcast. It's something I've wanted to maybe even dive into as a random watch in mm-hmm. one of these weeks. And and while I enjoy the film a lot, I I don't feel as strongly as the lovers of this film, uh, critics and yeah. and internet, uh, you know, uh, both both included. It's got a that. following. Yeah, I mean, th- this film okay. is really adored uh, for a lot of reasons, and I think it deserves good credit. But for me, it it falls through in some areas that I don't even necessarily want to unpack too much. Rather just focus on the experience and what's going after. So, But for some reason, if you haven't seen it, folks, I, I do think for this week this is my blanket recommendation. Because um, without maybe some of the dicey subject matter of uh, the Virgin Suicides being a, a heavy topic ultimately, uh, yeah. this really is such a vertical slice of what everything Sofia Coppola has to, has to go for and what she has to offer in her films. Yeah, yeah. And, not, and I don't want to take anything away from her, mm-hmm. but... I feel like also her directing and writing is so well paired with with Bill Murray and his Murrayness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know yeah. I mean, it's just a, it's sure. just an extremely good pair. And yeah. The funny thing is, is that's another connective kind of tissue to Wes Anderson. Yeah. Wes Anderson has that same relationship with Bill Murray. Yeah. Where he can get him an essence of him, where you love to see him in the film. Yeah. With this, he's so Bill Murray, and he's just <laughs> able to be Bill Murray. But that's also her knowing. Like I mean, he's the one for the role. Yeah, you know I, what I mean. I, I I will note it later, but it it is absolutely a lot of scenes just feel like he's released in the wild in in, <laughs> in the wild that is you know uh, Tokyo, Japan. So, uh, and, and those scenes work. So they I do. I, yeah. I feel like um it, it's something that's a good uh, creative partnership there. Big, uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Lost in Translation uh, centers around two lost souls in very different backgrounds and and echoes a practical lesson. Don't travel depressed because you'll just be depressed in another country. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I think uh, that might connect somehow to Adam Sandler as a quote, so... (laughs) I'm going to move past it, but it really is uh, It really is true. Uh, nonetheless, we explore loneliness through the eyes of two outsiders in Tokyo. Bill Murray playing an actor uh, that is at the end of his career and resorting to tacky brand deals in Japan for whiskey. Uh, and Scarlett Johansson uh, playing a tag-along wife uh, of a neglectful husband uh, traveling on business and is struggling to find her purpose post-grad. We watch each of their experiences unfold in the extremely eccentric Tokyo of the early 2000s, mm-hmm. um, increasingly isolated by their surroundings. Uh, you know, the film uh, directly contrasts them being in possibly one of the most crowded cities and scenes constantly being a barrage of experiences yeah. and people and information and, and noise. This is done deliberately to contrast how they could not feel more lonely despite being despite their surroundings. That is until they find each other. Uh, being a breath of common ground they can share and uh, most importantly therapeutic partners for the em- emptiness they both have inside. I would say, much like The Virgin Suicides, uh, I love the quiet comedic beats of the film. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, a lot of this completes itself with how wild Tokyo is during this time period, uh, early 2000s specifically, uh, especially the entertainment industry that we see through Bill Murray's angle. 
Murray alone is just so entertaining yeah. as a character here. <laughs> like, I think a perfect running joke is just his size. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. he's like six two or something like that. But it's just it's emphasized over and over again how small <laughs> everything is around him, and it's it's just a great running joke for the whole film. A lot of these moments of the film, they aren't meant to be punchlines. Uh, and just like I said, how it's almost like a dark comedy with the previous film. I, I don't know. Would you, from what you remember about this film, would you call it a comedy? Yeah. Dra- yeah. yeah, I would do a drama comedy. Okay. Okay. A com uh, drama, I guess. A drama. <laughs> I don't like that. Okay. Drum uh, com. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think it's, you got to put down comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's on the shoulders of Murray is mm. the comedic bits, but that's what you get. I mean, that's what you get with it. It's him. a movie of two actors, essentially. Absolutely. He is the direct infusion of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and like uh, you said, it really feels like Murray's just let loose a bit. Yeah. And again, not to take away from Sofia Coppola, it, but it's just. We, a lot's we, riding on him. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. Absolutely. And so much comes into facial expressions or just that <laughs> yeah. dry humor Murray. Yeah. Um, and that's why it, it's such a drama, but you can't not leave out. Absolutely. I would say comedy to tag it. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, not to give away the goat a little bit with, uh, with Somewhere, uh, a movie that we'll cover in a little bit. But you see a very structurally similar film, and mm. not having Bill Murray basically strips all comedy from it. Okay. So that I mean, I'm 100 on the same page there. With uh, I mean, it's it's kind of all on his shoulders because it, you take those quiet moments, and without his funny faces or without his kind of physical comedy to it, yep. it doesn't have any comedic beats to to even yield. So yeah, and I have to say, it's like I don't know. He is an actor that doesn't care about motion or timing too. Mm. Just the way he can kind of just come in and the way he speaks always isn't on time or it doesn't follow <laughs> yeah. a beat the way he even walks yep. the way he can just fall into a room a little bit yep, yep. something's always off pitch a little bit mm-hmm. and that's what works that's the quirkiness of Bill Murray that yeah. he can bring to it it's f- fantastic absolutely absolutely I, I think uh, regardless of, of how you view it though folks uh, how this is elevated as an experience is because you have these depressive tones these introverted tones to the film these these small comedic beats make the experience lighter and i think a lot more palatable uh and also a lot more depth that it's it's not just all doom and gloom here something that will be needed with an upcoming film this week like i said so (laughs) okay uh, i think one thing we got to talk about though is the copious and this is the term i'm not being i'm not you know being out of pocket here but the the english jokes that come along with the script here (laughs) were shocking to revisit and again i've seen this i don't know about a handful but at least like three other times uh i mean it was Shocking yeah. to come back to. They, it wouldn't be made now. The writing, yeah. the writing would not happen the way it, it does in the movie. And, and I, I guess it makes you question: like, did is that what Bill Murray went to? Because all the jokes are the ones that are coming out of his mouth or what he's interacting with <laughs> yeah, as far as yeah. characters. So. <laughs> I, I think in a critical capacity, you know, it's important to consider the context. You know, Bill Murray is this jaded old man. If yeah. he's a little dicey, maybe that's the character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, also, I think jokes like back then, it, yeah. it was just it was more acceptable. Oh, for sure, two thousand three. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. It was twenty years ago. It yeah. was just it was definitely it was just yeah, yeah, more acceptable. I think my marker for that type of for any type of two thousands comedy that doesn't hit anymore is like the Man Show or something like that. <laughs> like one. Once yeah, that ends, yeah, that's yeah. when we see a little bit of the pain, the page turn. <laughs> so, 
But I, I, I think for me, I wanted to note it because uh, as a rewatch of this film, there were so many jokes around it. It mm-hmm. really, I mean, it was kind of jaw-dropping in a way. Um, Did it make it more funny now? Because it's, it's almost just like, wow, look how risky this movie is now. Uh, it's actually, the opposite. I wish it really was. You're cringing a little bit. A okay. little bit, a little bit. I, I think I- um, it, it, even in the awkward moments that this story has to put focus on it. I think that's where it wasn't working. I okay. felt like it was almost like, all right, let's, let's kind of get past this a little bit. <laughs> so not terrible, but it's something I noticeable. I, it's noticeable. Very noticeable. <laughs> very noticeable. I caught about 20 minutes of it recently. Oh yeah. Like, like before I knew what you were doing on the podcast. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah it's there. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, many aspects make up for this within the film. Most notably, the first-person dive into Tokyo in exploration segments that Sophia creates. Um, so many scenes feel as they just unleashed Bill Murray into the wild, like we said, and this is where uh, the more subtle approach works. Again, I think all of her movies work in quiet moments, uh, and that's where almost she excels uh, beyond anyone in these type of quiet moments. Um, the same is done for Scarlett Johansson, but these moments sell a um, more of an observing angle. And this is where I think the film really feels at its best and, and deserves every ounce of the praise that you get online with this, mm-hmm. and among other critics. You know, despite my own bias towards Japan, you know, Sophia is able to match the purposeless wandering of her characters with muted tones. And this is, like I said, deliberately contrasted constantly in the film with the barrage of neon and noise and excitement of the city streets to illustrate what our characters are, are feeling brilliantly. Yeah. Um, you see a, a just such a deliberate contrast of, wow, how could anyone, you know, not react, not even just be excited, but not react to what's around them and these muted notes, uh, a faded soundtrack, that's what really brings at home to the point of the film. Yeah, and I think and I, Scarlett Johansson does such a good job. She's playing a very, as you said, like a muted character. Yeah, yeah. She's playing an observant character, as you said, but so well. A lot of a lot of her acting even is just in her little mannerisms, her eyes or what yeah. she might be doing with her lips or something like that. She has this quiet, like, sexiness about her. For sure. But it's also tamed down to not make it too creepy with Bill Murray. Yeah, right. And I said it still might be a little bit creepy. <laughs> but but it, there, she she's playing, I feel like she's really... Walking a tightrope. Yeah. And for how young she is, Mm -hmm. I just feel like she commands her role really well in this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the only reason why I'm a little, you know, (laughs) on on the age thing is I looked up actually how drastic the difference was. It's massively different. Not to to mention, Bill Murray never looks good for his age. (laughs) No, no. I think they make him look worse. He always looks 10 years older (laughs) than what he actually is. Any scene he has eyeliner on is just like, oh my God. This dude dude looks like he's in the Addams Family. <laughs> but the age uh, difference is huge, and that's why they try to keep it separate. They do try to, yeah. uh, you know, even the way the way the film ends a little bit, even yes, yeah, you know what I mean. But it's still there. There it is, is a sexy. There is a sexy play to the both Absolutely. of them. Absolutely, yeah. and I really do think that is is the point. You know, mm-hmm. uh, folks, when when I mention, I don't feel as strongly as this movie about other critics might. Um, it's largely because it's pointing at that ending. Yeah. And understand, I mean, this is this is a beloved film so much that it's it's probably taught uh, in a lot of film appreciation classes mm. because of how much. So I mean, that that's what I'm kind of working away from yeah, a little yeah. bit, not to be you know just needlessly uh, going against the grain, but that that's that's really do how I feel about this film. Uh, this doesn't come close to an issue we will get to in some other films this week, but I've always disliked 
how the story ends here. I think without a dissection, the best I can say is that the very last moments of the uh, of the story cement realizations around our character that I would say betrays a little bit of what is built up and the beautiful vagueness uh, of the experience leading up to it. I mean, the experience of what's on screen, but also the experience of what's going on in the story between the relationship uh, in Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. Questions better left unanswered aside, I think this is an undoubtedly very, very strong film. If there is any proof of concept needed for Sofia Coppola's strength as a director, it's all right here in one package. We're going to go ahead and give Lost in Translation 2003 a 78. Wow, okay, 78. A very good score, very good score. And a 78 is good. We have new listeners, we'll say again, because we always try to say it once in a while. If you're in the 70s, this is considered a pretty damn good movie. Yes. Very good movie. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the 80s, it's difficult to be in the 80s when you're at the daily ratings here. <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. we like that. Yeah. Uh, 78% means very, very good movie. Yes, yeah. yes. Well worth your time. And like I said, mm-hmm. it, it is. if you don't have any experience with Sophia uh, as a director, it is unusually effective at giving you every piece that she does well. That's um, great. So if you want to understand a little bit of Sofia Coppola yeah. or get a taste of what she's like, yeah. this is the film. Yeah, almost unusually so. Right. Like, like it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is everything that she does and, and does well in this case. Excellent. 78, very good score uh, for Sophia. A couple actor notes here. Mm, yeah. I can only imagine, I know nothing about the actual backstory or the creation of the film, things mm-hmm. like that leading up to it. I wonder if she was looking for Kirsten Dunst for this. I, I think so. the age is almost there. She's a little bit older. And a longtime co- uh, collaborator. Right. Um, even in like uncredited little things uh, in, in later and again, movies. And she's still hot right now, meaning like she, she's on a roll. Yes. Because that, yeah. that Spider-Man stuff elevated her so much. Right, right. Two other notes. So let's say, I don't know if anyone else is going to get this except for you. (laughs) Okay. Bill Murray's character. Yeah. Okay. Imagine if that, why he was in Tokyo, what he was trying to do, the ads and everything like Mm. that. Imagine if he took it in stride and really leaned into and went for it. (laughs) Do you think it is a real life present day Tommy Lee Jones? Whoa. Oh, because of because the it, uh, the coffee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because there, of there, Boss Coffee. There, there. Oh, yes. Not I, just the coffee. Other things, too. Oh, the national song. Remember yes, the uh, sing- SoftBank as well? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So those of you who don't know, Tommy Lee Jones is oddly ingrained in oh. Japanese and Tokyo culture. And, and like has, almost very tacky bra- brand deals, but hilarious brand deals. Yes, I would say everybody look up. Is it Rainbow Mountain Coffee? Uh, no, it's Boss. It's Boss, and then the it's uh, the brand is Rainbow Mountain. Rainbow or, yeah. Mountain. Okay, yeah. everyone go on YouTube. Yeah. Look up Japanese coffee commercials with Tommy Lee yeah. Jones and you will be delighted. And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he sung the national song. They did. They had the national whatever, something yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah. What's so crazy is that when when I watch those 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 ads, which I yeah. love, I mean, we both a- absolutely love, that that many many a, a drinking night we just throw on the, <laughs> the, the, the Tommy Lee. Yeah, it really is. It's a party trick, is what it, it is. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Uh, what's so crazy about that is I always think back to the stories behind the scene for Batman Forever, where Jim Carrey apparently went up to Tommy Lee Jones uh, offset. Yes, and like Tommy Lee Jones like talked a whole bunch of shit. I, I don't know what exactly is. Tommy but Lee like, Jones hated. Yeah, hated. Um, whatever his face is yeah, yeah Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey and talking about how cartoonish it was and then to realize that years down the road uh, he does all these like taggy brands it's like I don't know it goes 
It's so true. Like he does have a sense out. of humor for it. And, and we didn't see him for years and just hanging out in Tokyo making these right. things. Right. He is in a new film or something like that coming out. Yeah. I remember, yeah, the, the story is Jim Carrey went to dinner and yeah. a waiter came over and was just like, oh, you're working on a film with Tommy Lee Jones. He's at a table in the yeah, back. Yeah, you want to yeah. come say hi? And so we went up to go shake hands with Tommy Lee Jones. Said he turned just bright red. Wow. Just like red with anger, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. He shook Jim Carrey's hand, leaned in his ear, and said, I loathe you. <laughs> or something like that. I mean, just crazy. Right, right. But you Which hate I can't him. totally picture that for Sure, but then to do these, the, <laughs> the most ridiculous, yeah, oh yeah, I mean, folks, again, watch these commercials, you will see how, how contradictory uh, Tommy Lee was being. There. So that's why I think if Bill Murray leaned into uh, his role there in Tokyo. <laughs> Very interesting. So then, then, so just with you talking about it, uh, yeah. uh, make this movie today, who hmm. would you put in Bill Murray's place? I, I don't know who the female of today's female sure, should be in sure. the lead. I think Nick Cage. Oh yeah, Nick Cage would do great. Especially then, everything after everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, um, yep. not everything everywhere. Um, um, uh, massive weight of talent. Yes. Yeah. Massive. Uh, yeah. Unbearable. Unbearable weight of masses to talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I really enjoyed, but after that role, I think he would do great in this. Oh, for sure, for sure. I actually have some trailer notes on the new movie that he's in uh, called Dream Scenario that I think looks very good. So there's one that's getting huge. He was in like two at the exact same time. One was <laughs> getting figure. praised. One was not being talked about. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what do we what do we follow? <laughs> because <laughs> i want to watch it too yeah, yeah. um and i and pig 2 got announced too i believe by oh the way. really yeah uh, I, I'm, I'm really done with these sequels i mean um, uh, it <laughs> was one of his best pig was a truly phenomenal movie it really I was think, i think it was good. out of 78 oh like an 81 or two or something like that <laughs> i don't know about the 80s anyway let's not. say let's say nick <laughs> let's say nick cage is in bill murray's role yeah who would the female be who, who would the young it's tough young right now we definitely see a, re- a re-roll of this in somewhere, uh, the movie, uh, okay. you know, two down the line. I don't know, tough to say. We don't I would have any say, actors that we like coming up. As far as... Oh, I know. He's not super old, but I feel like people would love Ryan Gosling as well, as just kind of like no, being over it. he's too it. handsome. <laughs> he's way too good You need the handsome. ugly factor. Yeah, you need a guy that can play off being... Nick Cage, definitely. <laughs> All right, yeah, I I, I'm locking How in How about Nick Cage. Um, um, our girl, Florence Pugh? Uh, sure, sure. She's got that deeper voice too. That yeah. little bit of that, that scar joke. Okay, absolutely. All right, we'll talk to Sophia. We'll put <laughs> we'll get it in, in the works. Lost in translation stuff. too. Okay, all right. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> Seventy-eight for Lost in Translation. We're moving to two thousand and six. This is Marie Antoinette. Mm. So she's she's coming back with Kirsten Dunst. Yep, yep. And this one just screams uh, style over substance. But we'll see if that kind of holds true. Sure. Let's get into it. How'd you like Marie Antoinette? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was actually surprised I've never seen this film. Three years later, we see Kirsten Dunst uh, reuniting with Sophia uh, to fill a lead role this time. I guess she was kind of in lead role uh, for Virgin Suicides. Right at the peak of her career within that Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Yeah, she's uh, coming off of that. 2006? Yeah, it's in between two and three. Uh, so this is oh, maybe uh, the first this part- is her definitely springboarding. With okay, that. maybe the first Spider-Man was 2003. I think you were right with 2001. I don't know. <laughs> regardless, regardless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she's she's still well known. She's absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And if anything, to Kirsten uh, um, Kirsten Dunn's uh, credit, you know, in between that time between Virgin Suicides and this, you have like uh, not rom coms, but definitely teen flicks like Bring It On and, and stuff like that. Yeah, you oh, know? she's in. Yeah, she's yeah. in stuff. Yeah, absolutely. My expectation though with this film is that it was a period piece with a bolt of indie rock sent through it. While it does kind of lean into that, it really is more historical than I, I ever expected. I would um, prefer that. So that's yeah. I don't need no Baz Luhrmann coming in here mucking it up. <laughs> that's so funny. You know, I I would say. <laughs> Did you notes? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Soundtrack wise, uh, you know, this intentionally clashes with the time period, um, having a pop rock spin. And I would loosely compare it to Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet or Romeo and Juliet. Um, but uh, instead actually being set in its in its period uh, piece past. Sure, yeah. So, that's so funny. And, and then really my notes for uh, for Priscilla is it's the Elvis head to head. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> It's also um, not an amazing movie. <laughs> I'll just come out and say it. Um, mostly, I wanted to cover it because Priscilla looked to be a similar formula. Um, I think some credit can be given to Sophia for her take on the new princess story trope. This is something that we've really never mentioned on the podcast before, but a prime example of the new princess story trope would be the 1990 classic Pretty Woman, and even the soft peer coming mm. out at the time, The Princess Diary, uh, in 2001. Structuring around the new princess uh, type of story is around two things. One, the wonder that comes with experiencing royalty firsthand with fresh eyes, and two, the drama that is usually sourced around judging glares of the people around our main character. Uh, that's pretty much every one of those movies. <laughs> and not bad, but I, I thought it was an interesting take on that. Marie Antoinette depicts the young French aristocrat who rose to power in potentially the worst time possible. <laughs> she really did not have a long run. Um, this story spans her beginnings as an Austrian princess and focuses heavily on her outsider perspective towards the lavishly excessive uh, wealth of the French royalty. What the film doesn't focus on is mostly anything outside her direct experiences. In a lot of cases, that means trapped within the doors of the palace, uh, and being, you know, uh, woefully disconnected with what might be happening outside those castle walls. Uh, and with uh, the brewing French Revolution, that awareness would serve the queen well. I would say when it comes to Kirsten Dunst, uh, I was really rooting for her to be a great performance here. Yeah. You know, she really is one of my earliest on-screen crushes, probably going back to Bring It On, you know, something like that. <laughs> that was shoved down my throat by my sister <laughs> uh, growing up. But, um, but her acting quality is unfortunately all over the place here. She's certainly beautiful. She has a ball when she's having fun on screen. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a lot of energy. It leans into Sophia's style. You know, her among the French elite, but the moment dramatic beats come, she falls short. Crying most of all, with no tears, and looking like she's laughing half the time. I mean, just sticking on this Batman kick, it's like... It's like in Batman and Robin when what's his face George Clooney is is crying over Alfred and he's just like laughing. It's just like <laughs> nah, yeah. no, that's not it. <laughs> so very much here the unfortunately the dramatic side of the performance, which is ultimately the destination for this film, mm -hmm. and even relatively familiar with the with the history, is not the strong suit. The strong suit of this film is happy fun times. And living it up in French royalty, and she when she leans into that, she it, it's a ball. She's a ball on screen. It really right, does translate, right. but that's ultimately not what brings the story home. And those dramatic beats really do fall short. I never really found her as a great dramatic actress. No, yeah, me neither. It's a shame. I think because she's lovable, mm -hmm. she reminds me of a likable. Uh, who's the one that people just recently hated because of the writer strike stuff? Has her own talk show. Uh, Selena Gomez? No, nope, nope, no, definitely not. Um, the, no. Oh, uh, Drew Barrymore. Yes, she reminds me, like, I've never liked Drew Barrymore in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for maybe 50. You know Drew Barrymore is, like, my 
like most hated. Oh, right. good. Yeah, okay, yeah, so we is... share this. So we share this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew's not a fan either. After one interview with uh, that she had, it's, oh, good, it's, she, good. and she was just—I can't believe she still even had a show, or ever someone ever gave her a show. <laughs> but anyway, Kirsten Dunst had always reminded me of a likable, mm, okay, Drew Barrymore. Yes, but still bad, kind, kind of bad at acting. But, yeah, as you said, rooting. I'm always, always going to root for her. Exactly. I was rooting for. I mean, it's it's a cool looking movie. Again, I mean, uh, yes, yeah, that style. You know, the, the style comes through, and I and I think. Um, you know, uh, without us knowing the intimacy of what really happened behind palace walls, I think this is a playground for uh, not an alternate history, but a, a a creative take on the history itself, and maybe saying something interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think Kirsten is a, is is a great choice for that, but um, yeah, it's just it's just not there. Uh, my praise, my real praise for this film, comes in production with countless costumes and set work that feels as expensive as what I would imagine the real-world equivalent is. But sadly, I think it all goes to waste in the confusion of the film, and this is something that we will see in the new release of Priscilla as well, uh, struggling with. Uh, The plot works as a fun dream come true, again, this new princess story arc that works for 95% of the film, having a fun time, drinking, it's all macaroons and (laughs) and dresses, you know? (laughs) Uh, And rightfully never concerned with the politics, rightfully never concerned with the actual historical period piece that this is masquerading as. Right. But at the very end of the story, we see it snap to radically different uh, historical tone, a radically different historical tone, as if it was all about the revolution the whole time. No. No, it doesn't work like Marie that. Marie doesn't get her cake and eat it too. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, really, uh, it, it's it's almost like a joke that this this neck turn was, was acceptable because mm-hmm. the movie is not about that in, in the slightest. I think, once again, Sophia's style is great, and I was excited to see that style applied to a traditional period piece, you know, fusome youth in it, like I said, a kind of a bolt of indie rock to it, uh, but sadly, nothing meaningful was said with this story, and I was fine having this be more about the experience, but that ending does not line up. It lets the nonfiction history overtake what most of the film was going for, abandoning its main appeal. We're going to go ahead and give Marie Antoinette, 2006, a 59. Ooh, okay, 59. Yeah. Yeah, I just I can't think... say there's a lot of interest there in this one for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I yeah. personally probably would like it even less sure. if it does have this Baz Lermian type... Uh, structure uh, youthful, to it, yeah, yeah. What's the other one that Baz did? Uh, that was a a remake with Leo and Toby. Oh, uh, Great Gatsby. Yeah, uh, that's that's more Baz being on his bullshit. I mean, I think okay, I think okay. I think this is much better. Better, okay, yeah, gotcha. more, much more focused as well. But yes, yeah, uh, similar similar vibe to it. Okay, so let's let's keep it going here. And by the way, that was the only one that's rated PG thirteen. All of her films are like an hour and forty ish minutes yeah, and yeah. rated R. Uh, Marie Antoinette's the only one PG thirteen in a little over two hours, but yeah. she seems very um, she she keeps a tight script, which seems kind of nice. which is good. Yeah. And, and again, uh, while I may not be in love with a lot of where her stories end up, 
she's still a creative powerhouse. She knows what yeah, she's going yeah. after. And in execution, again, uh, the the big chunks of these films really do work on, yeah. on that execution. All right, so let's jump to 2010. This film is just called Somewhere. And I feel like this might be her taking a different turn a little bit. I'm surprised at the cast at this one for sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into it and tell us about Somewhere. What's it about? Uh, well, folks, for this fourth slot, I was really torn on what to cover. You know, uh, our first three films were no-brainers, um, but once we peeked over in to the 2010s, it wasn't an easy task to pin down what the choice would be in between now and Priscilla. Maybe 2013's Bling Ring, like we mentioned, uh, certainly a copycat of the early A24 style that she is now, you know, very much a part of. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe even her reuniting with Bill Murray in 2020's On the Rocks uh, as a follow-up and connecting again with that comedic force. But I landed on this movie because it... I didn't really see any connective tissue at all. And what do I get, Tom? A movie I hate. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get. So I should have stayed on my bullshit. I should have. Always connective tissue. Um, this movie I, I despised. I, I said, what a waste. Okay, um, well, it's only an hour and 37. Oh, I, I thank God. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I really hated this one. Um, Somewhere is a movie that is structurally similar to Lost in Translation. This is the one I was talking about. Okay. Uh, many scenes mimic the unspoken hassle that comes with fame, especially to illustrate that it's not always what it cracks up to be. Stephen Dorff plays an A-list actor living in L.A., and nearly every moment of the film is dedicated to him languishing around... Uh, his current depressive state caused by a lack of purpose and feeling numb to his otherwise dream life. Some of that comes with a comedic spin, uh, much how Asian culture was poked at in the previous. Now we have the absurdity of Hollywood in the crosshairs. Uh, the movie even repeats its hotel-heavy setting, exchanging the famous Park Hyatt for the mega-exclusive Chateau Marmont. So, uh, I mean, really, the silhouette of this film is almost... She's uh, going for it again. ...copy of what Lost in Translation is, mm. almost shamelessly so. <laughs> but that's just the start, folks. Dorf happens to be a father in this, uh, with Ellie Fanning playing his daughter under joint custody. Mm. Uh, When they are together, he is a whole different person springing to life. Uh, This gives him an innocent tag-along that breaks up the many plot beats where he either acts like a degenerate or screws every blonde he come across. I'm not even kidding. Every blonde (laughs) woman. (laughs) It's it's unreal. And I think as a positive here, Dorf and Fanning work well on screen with a handful of cute moments that, for me, uh, sold what very low-hanging fruit this story was going after. Okay. Sadly, nothing about this film resembles the praise I have for Sophia's work so far. I mean, this is an outlier on so many levels. This is an outlier in the sense that it's a wannabe of uh, of Lost in Translation, mm. but it's by the same director. <laughs> uh, I felt like it was, this This was would be the experience if I did like a Roland Emmerich uh, study and uh, we did oh. Day After Tomorrow and then 2012 <laughs> and then I mean like Moonfall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, th- that's what it felt like. It was just like oh, d- really? Again? Mm. Like, is disappointing, really. So, it, right. So no... Uh... No style or substance. Yeah, uh, I feel like the style fails in that the subject of L.A. 
is weaker. Is, is weaker uh, Ellie Fanning is playing like he's like you said, father and daughter. Yeah. She's playing like a young teen kind of like yes. a tween age. Oh, absolutely. Daughter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, two thousand ten. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. A couple years after this, she'll do like you know exciting. She gets things, bigger. Like yeah. Neon Demon. You know, uh-huh. uh, really exciting projects. But um, but yeah, she's still very much in that kid actor vibe. And and, and again, I think for what it's worth. They work together, uh, Ellie especially. Sure. But um, most frustrating of all is how this story plays out, uh, being questionably bland and a total rehash of ideas, folks. In the first half of the film, we see dwarves spiraling without purpose, uh, giving into this piece-of-shit lifestyle. And halfway through, when his daughter stays with him for an extended time, what do you know? He begins to find a new lease on life. That's it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> we get a small dramatic beat when she has to set off for summer camp uh, at some point in the film. And that's the movie. Papa plus daughter equals purpose. Like, it is so insultingly low-hanging <laughs> and so without spin and so without the hallmarks of Sophia's great execution mm-hmm. that I was, I mean, I, these, these director studies are about giving praise and spotting trends and this was almost insulting i i mean i i, I don't I almost i don't know how she recovered uh, from this so just uh, boring as hell basically no uh, boring isn't the right word rehash low-hanging fruit uh no bite no teeth though these are the descriptors for this film wannabe uh. And again, it's her own movie. <laughs> it's just like, it's a, yeah, ridiculous this is. It's seriously the most basic thing possible. And it's more disappointing in an experience than I ever expected watching her, expecting watching her films, especially when her films, above all else, are about experience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are about being kind of transported Vi- into absolutely, yeah, yeah. vibes, absolutely, dreams. You know, that, that's, that's what it's all about. It's so funny we movie uh, we mentioned the movie After Sun last episode on the podcast because this explores very similar themes. You know, oh, both yeah. have a yeah, single yeah. father struggling with depression around his preteen daughter. And, and, and on the surface, that sounds like a story with depth, but these two films could not be more different. Uh, where After Sun admittedly might have wallowed in its misery a little bit too much. This movie has no teeth, no grit to the story that makes it worth telling. It literally is, when daughter's around, I'm happy. When daughter's away, I'm sad. That's, that's, <laughs> that's it. it. That's, that's literally I, it. I, 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 spoilers aren't even a concern. Because, I mean, <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's the most also basic thing you could do with the character arc of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that I think has, again, some merit is that the interaction between Dorf and Fanning are, is different than the interaction of what we see uh, in Lost in Translation where, you know, with, with Murray and, and Johansson, that, that, that's a romantic spin. We get a different type of scene when it's a father-daughter. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I mean... It has nothing going for it. This the last moments of this film. I was stunned with how painfully simple it was. The most straightforward story you could ever write, and and I suppose this could be considered a hangout film. Uh, I'll, I'll meet in the middle a little bit. Uh, you kind of know I'm not really a fan of hangout films. No, um, this is this is coming across as like uh, I don't know why, but Zach Braffy in Garden oh, State. I, 
Hey, see? You're getting sharp. See? You're getting <laughs> sharp. For not watching any movies this week, you're pretty sharp. It's the record ratings, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it, it's these films that leave you feeling empty because yeah. not exciting, not in yes. depth. Not edge of your seat. And it has nothing to not say. Captivating. Right, because Lost in Translation, in a way, could be very, very boring if not executed sure, well. Sure, sure. All on, you know what I mean? Yeah, you have to really be immersed in the, the atmosphere. This just sounds boring. It sounds beneath her, this yes, quality of work. Absolutely. Uh, disappointing is really what I walked away with. And, um, you know, the, the arc just left me with such a, a massive, immense feeling of, yeah, no, duh. Right, okay. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean come on. Hmm. I think where this movie is a unique failure, though, for Sophia is stylistically, and it really breaks my heart to say it because uh, there's been nothing but praise stylistically so far, and there will be praise with uh, with Priscilla as well as probably its strongest element. Mm-hmm. Um, let's put aside the many parallels to her own loss in translation for, for a moment. Otherwise, I, I really won't be able to stay away from calling this just lazy. The first half of the film focuses very heavily heavily on L.A. and the hassle of the acting industry. Our direct understanding of the character's depression is through the annoying portrayal of the bi- of the biz. Just how those muted tones communicated the depression in, in Lost in Translation. I already, I already broke my rule. <laughs> I'm already comparing to Lost in Translation. <laughs> Uh, when the daughter steps in, there is obviously a wonderment to all the perks that comes with the press tour of his movie, and as if the story had no backbone at all, suddenly our visuals adjust to glamorous aesthetics, becoming a love affair with the subject it was just carving into. It just feels like it's in the wind. It's it it has no it has no backbone to where it's going, uh, and and I can't just tell you how disappointing that follow through. That lack like of follow through. Like pretty disappointed yeah, by yeah. it. Now, obviously, my frustration is I think in part because I watched so many of the, her films in a row this week mm-hmm. that um, you know I couldn't almost avoid the comparison game. Yeah, this but, was the odd uh, duckling here. Yeah. But I, I've never come across such a bland re-roll within a director. You know, by by this point, I've done a lot of director studies too. Maybe expect this from someone who pumps out a lot of films, like I said, a Roland Emmerich study. If God forbid I ever have to do that. <laughs> uh, but this was disappointing, and perhaps uh, so much of her work in the 2010s bleed together from afar for the same exact reason. Tom, I got to give it the old Kane mutiny. Uh, uh, Folks, it is a score when I need to illustrate a waste of an experience. Yes, quite a few films are much worse than this movie and may have gotten a higher score, but scoring it in the 40s just doesn't cut it. We're going to go ahead and give somewhere a 39. All right, somewhere in the 30s. I like it. (laughs) Right where it belongs, I'd say. I mean, After Sun, you didn't love. I mean, it was seeming like this was worse than After Sun. After Sun got a 49. But After Sun had something to say, and this movie just has nothing to say. And, 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 and <laughs> hey, if, if, if the arc of when I'm around daughter, it, it means the world to me, if that's enough, uh, I, I don't know. But Not a very titillating picture, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 39%. Not titillating. You, you said it. <laughs> 
Why? That's an adjective that people use. Titillating. Titillating. Okay. <laughs> He's moving on. Folks, if you want to be a producer of um, this great thing that we built here, <laughs> record just, rating. Just go to. Just go to. Um, we are completely producer supported, basically. So Vin and I host the podcast. We keep up with the website. The newsletter comes out every week. Everything like that. Uh, but the idea is, we're completely producer supported. We're not looking to get big ad revenue and, and hit you with advertising. Make you the product as we just sell you products. You mm-hmm. know. We take the numbers and our downloads. We take it to advertising companies, say, look at how many people we have, and then they give us money and shill products, yada, yada. We're staying away from that. We're going off the value for value model, and basically, it's real simple. Are you getting value from the daily ratings? You checking out the website? You listening to the podcast? Um, are you enjoying hanging out with us once a week? Are you legitimately uh, uh, changing your own movie list, getting into movies mm. a little bit more than, than what you were before you were listening to us? So that's value in your pocket. We basically ask you to give us value back in our pocket. You go to the dailyratings.com. You go to the donations tab. And through any monetary support, whatever value you feel, you can make up a random number and you send it our way. There are no set amounts. Now, we do have a weekly, we have a fun monthly, and some kind of funny one-timers if you want to, you know, that's show-related. But still, there's the value for value button there, and you can just um, give any amount that you want. Big, small, it doesn't matter. We have no paywalls. We have no tier structures. It's whatever you want. Um, And anyone who donates is a legit credited producer of the daily ratings because just like in Hollywood, you're financially supporting the show is what you're doing. So another cool thing, when you donate, basically you can write in a note, whether it be questions, comments, critiques, love or hate, doesn't matter. Uh, if you're going to donate, you can write something in, and we're going to read it right here. We'll address it right here in this segment of the podcast, which is pretty cool. It's a good through line to you. It's open communication with you, and it's the least we can do if you're going to mm-hmm. send us send some money our way. So we hope you all are getting value from it. We hope uh, all you become producers in the future. We thank those of you who have produced in the daily ratings in the past. And Vin and I are having a great time doing this. Hope to do this, continue to do this for a long time. It's great to see more and more people every week joining. We love it. If you can, get the word out. Tell people about it. Get us in the conversation. It's where we want to be. And also, with how much work that Vin and I put into it, all five films a week Vinny is watching, <laughs> hours and hours and hours of note-taking just to come here and then for us to set up and everything. So it is a lot of work. We enjoy it, uh, but it's a lot. So if you do get any type of value, if you could, go to thedailyratings.com. And become a producer today. All right, Vin. So with that, let's get on to our now in theaters for a small amount of time, it seems. Yeah, right, right. But our, in, our new release, our, our in theaters now, this is Priscilla. And like you said, it's going head-to-head basically against Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> Elvis. <laughs> yeah. And let's get into it right away. How was it? And how was your movie experience? <laughs> you know you know what's up. <laughs> so we got to talk about my movie experience first. Uh, this was unbelievable. I texted you, Tom. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was so funny. And I, I don't mean to make light of, of what may have been a scary situation, but it wasn't. So you know, It's funny. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I watched this with Mama Daly. She, she, uh, we, we saw the original Elvis. Elvis, or not the original, but last year's Elvis together. So uh, this was kind of like the follow-up of it. And also, the background of this is this is an A24 film and is very slow-paced. So it's a little bit of a boring film. Okay, I mean, okay. You know, it's, it's, you know it may, A24 vibes may not be everyone's bag. So we are, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes into this. And uh, I, again, this film is so quiet, so <laughs> so definitely quiet that you hear Taylor Swift prominently. Right. Add to the very girl pink vibes of <laughs> what this is going. Um, and then all of a sudden, we hear, oh my God, oh my God, someone call 911, someone call 911. 
it's it's a it's pandemonium. Everyone everyone's heads are turned. You felt the you felt the theater turn. Okay, who is talking? Set up the theater for us. We're gonna spend more time on this than the movie. Okay, where are you sitting in the theater? We we chose a, a very front corner, front left corner. Front. Yeah, I know. Okay, uh, where is the nine one one call? Weird in from? my in my in my movie seat choices now. I just we I tried to talk about the theater p- placement because you should probably be the expert on theater placement. Okay, that's a, we're gonna have to be long on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where is the call? Where is the panic person coming dead, from? Dead, dead center. Uh, probably you know four from the back. Okay, uh, and so everyone that that's where this like head turning. You <sighs> like a wave. Like just, yeah. <laughs> you heard the heads turn. Uh, someone calls nine one one. She she goes. Oh, he's he's not waking. He's not waking up. She runs out. People are dashing out of the theater. People are running People, out. Okay, to get help. Right. Any right. doctor? Any? Did anybody do that? <laughs> There's a doctor here. <laughs> Did anyone doctor? do that? No, no. Oh, come on. We get a nine one one call. The I think the the like the security guard came in or something like that. Did it? Right. He doesn't can't do anything. Turns yep. out this thirty two year old man just fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> his boring and his ass girlfriend food. was freaking out. Yeah. His wife was freaking out. <laughs> he died, like freaking out. <laughs> Freaking out, and obviously that's embarrassing. You know, what I mean, I, I I feel for her, but the 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 cherry on top, the absolute best part about this is that my mother turns around to me. She goes, "Shit, Vincent, this is better than the movie." <laughs> I mean, you not laugh at that? It's just so, so perfect. You go, shit, Vincent, this is is the more anthem in the movie. It's so good. How long did this ordeal last? Oh, I mean, uh, at least a good 20 minutes, so much so that they then reset the movie. They gave us uh, tickets, voucher tickets. When When did the theater shut off? Pretty How soon after, the panic? I don't know if it was six minutes. They said it back a little bit earlier. I honestly, so also all, the reality of it, fake or not fake or not, but um, real, real panic or not, or yeah. not, it's fine. Like I don't, I don't care about the time loss or anything like that. No, I'm glad for the sure, guys all right. Sure. It's just so ridiculous. This guy was asleep for that I, long. My thinking is that this 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 chick and the guy probably had like a, a gummy or something like that. He, ab- he he was out. He absolutely, was, what happened? And then she was probably in this like panic, you know. Uh, what happened if the guy woke up? <laughs> the security guard is giving him like a like a health exam. He's just like, oh, dude, you fall asleep, aren't you? You pass out a lot. Are you serious? And he's like In just the groggy. Theater? He was just still groggy. <laughs> Can you imagine how I would be so the ride home? He's probably like Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas. What did you do? Why did you do that? Yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, talk about embarrassing. It really was. Again, we're talking about this because it wasn't it was the something. The whole theater, Karen. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Oh man. Unreal. And, and just again, the, the that punctuation point is <laughs> <laughs> better than the most shit, Vincent. <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, so that's yeah. a D minus impression of Vince Bomb, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, so you don't get in trouble later. <laughs> right. Right. So she doesn't talk like a, a, a mafia boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a cigarette in her mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She doesn't have a gravel voice. Um, okay. So that's that's the precedence oh, for what we're man. setting up here. Oh, it's just it was just so funny. It, it just. If I, I, when I texted you that, Tom, I was like, and that was in theater. You were texting yeah, me live yeah, while while everything while the oh, lights wow. were on and everything like that. That's very nothing funny. else to do. <laughs> I was caught up with my notes at that point. Oh, so good. Okay, so all good. right. But back on track, folks. The Elvis head to head is here. If you're curious about 
my thoughts on 2022's Elvis, uh, go ahead and check out that episode. And my thoughts on a, uh, a very messy film, uh, unfortunately. Probably one of the worst performances from Tom Hanks I've ever had the displeasure of seeing. Yeah, you were not a fan. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mostly the films are in competition, even though it may not be apparent initially, with mainly the the depiction of Elvis Presley directly. Uh, last year's film being criticized for its rubber portrayal of the king, usually unusually having no bite to its story, even for kind of a soulless music biopic. And here, Sophia takes a hard stance in spotlighting some problematic behavior in dating a rock star uh, and uses a dreamlike romance to get it done. I was uh, excited to see this a little bit of a menacing tw- uh, uh, spin to otherwise a bubblegum dream come true of dating a rock star. Right, right. Uh, I think the king, this, no less. Right, yeah. right. Uh, I think that matching is exactly what Virgin Suicide had going for it, and I was really excited to see it here. So <laughs> I'm very happy to say Sophia proves that she is a powerhouse once again stylistically. I think this might be one of the best-looking films to come out of A24 Shop this year. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, this year. Okay, all right. Uh, this year, yeah. Uh, I mean, the film drips, and I mean drips, in romantic silhouettes and golden hour outlines that speak so strongly to what I love in her early works and uh, and how that tone, how that style actually matches and becomes a little bit of substance where maybe a story could be lacking. Also, by focusing this on the female experience, I was excited to give her another chance like Marie Antoinette, where hopefully something meaningful was said beyond just that style. Mm-hmm. I think Priscilla is best summarized by its premise. Ninth grade Priscilla grows her relationship with 24-year-old Elvis Presley. Um, this difference in age and maturity is only the groundwork, though, for a relationship that can be defined as unbalanced. The film flirts the line with uh, the grooming of Priscilla, ducking in and out of Elvis's portrayal. But honestly, if this grosses you out, folks, if this uh, maybe you're an Elvis fan and you really are against uh, this dicey angle, uh, the film's priority is not to be a hit piece on Elvis and is surprisingly tame when it comes to sexual content. So I think a lot of Elvis fans, Mm. Uh, there was also um, uh, some articles going around of not Priscilla, but uh, their daughter uh, kind of disapproving of this. Definitely disapproving, yeah. I thought Priscilla wasn't happy with it either. I think think she she did approve it, but I don't know. That might have been just in the writing stage. I'm not too sure. Okay, okay. But it's really... Oh, no, she liked it. She liked it. You're right. Yeah. And it was the daughter. The daughter was was, was against it. Exactly right, yeah. Um, uh, but it really is surprisingly tame, and uh, this um, age angle, it is only the setup to mainly explore what the film wants to explore, which is a hyper-power dynamic that comes with a rock star love story, no less with the mm, king himself. Okay. Uh, it's, it's how the relationship is almost cartoonishly unbalanced because it is Elvis Presley. Right. You know, there is no, you know, what uh, the uh, the mother says to Priscilla at some point in the film is just like, don't you like other boys? There, there are no other boys. Right. You know, it's Elvis, <laughs> you know? So that, that really is the point. It's exploring that, that 
almost impossibly unique power dynamic that would come with dating a rock star. Right, right. Um, and that, that's only, that, that age angle is only an accent note to that. Uh, once again, though, this dicey age angle is an underlying theme to a lot of the scenes, however. Priscilla is depicted to be a child in so many ways, even past the time that she is of age and fully living in Graceland as an adult. Uh, for instance, the size difference in height is so exaggerated on screen to make her cartoonishly small standing together, and mm. I feel like that bleeds over into casting decisions for these mm-hmm. uh, for these actors. The guy, uh, honestly, uh, the, I don't have a lot of experience with the actors. If you're looking for my opinion of who did better as an Elvis impression, I don't really care. Austin um, Butler had a good. Who's this guy, Jacob? A lordy. I think he's from. Uh, I don't want to say Euphoria. Some some teen, you know. Some, yeah. Some something like that. I think that the objectives of the film are so different. In no way, You're despite go- a, a good job, it's not like trying to be such a. Oh, he's doing a good Elvis. You know, what I mean, it's it's different. Uh, the drama is is it takes takes hold too. Yeah, much. it's not about. Yeah, the Austin Butler thing totally different. Yeah, on a exactly. different on a different level. Exactly, yeah. where Austin is concerned with singing uh, as well. And man, uh, yeah, talking, singing. I mean, yeah. that was the Elvis biopic. Exactly. This is, I mean, this is called Priscilla. So. They just needed to get by, exactly. I feel like. yeah, Exactly, yeah. Uh, slowly we see his control in the relationship verge on emotional abuse, and with Elvis flying off the handle so quickly in some scenes, honestly, it felt a little bit unearned, actually. Mm. And that's and I bring that up is a slight critique to how the drama unfolds sometimes on screen, but also it's just to show, again, the drama is the priority. Uh, what they're examining, the relationship under a spotlight is the priority. It's not necessarily like, oh, how good of an Elvis is he doing or how good is Priscilla in this depiction, if that makes sense. Yeah, you, you're in it for the story, not for the portrayal. Right. Where, like, the Elvis movie was all about Austin Butler playing Elvis. <laughs> right, I right. mean, there was so much... And unusually Tom Hanks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> giving, giving yeah. I don't know what he's giving. So. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, there was, there was more talk about him and the portrayal of Elvis than the movie itself. Yes. Where this is supposed to be about... Priscilla's story. Yes, exactly, exactly. Honestly, folks, don't forget my high praise for the style because uh, the beats of the film feel as bubbly as a high school would, as high school girl would be being courted by Elvis Presley. I feel yeah. like tone-wise, Sophia is able to flirt that line perfectly mm. of baking in a slight menacing spin to a very poppy pink, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Grease girl type. Ro- romance. Yeah. Like, it is uh, it is a dream come true for Priscilla. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is where Sophia excels in mastery of that tone because she's able to uh, effortlessly bake these themes into an over-the-top romance. The same soft and twisted, the same soft, twisted innocence we felt in The Virgin Suicides is used once again here to sell the menace in an otherwise dream come true it shines in her usual hipster music choices as well comes out to be a very unique early 60s sound which i enjoyed a lot okay um, but she's was, using modern day songs no no, oh, no, good, no. Good, good. uh more so like deep cuts of uh 60s oh, songs cool. you know that that you would really have to dig for it's not it's not low-hanging fruit which right it's just cheaper fruit <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I respect the angle, you know, you're not wrong, you're not wrong. However, the film is also unusually slim on music or musical performances from Elvis, which might fall short for some viewer expectations. I bring this up because if it, this really is going to be a head-to-head, 
This is, like you said, a biopic for Priscilla. Yeah. Not having any, I mean, uh, there's like one we get, which is like a, I forget what he's performing. Yeah, I think it's it's during, you know, his, his slight decline in the 70s or something like that. But it... it I would expect not would, having an ounce of the music. I think is yeah. a kind of a failure. A I, I, unique would ex- I would just expect two and three. I mean, the film's purpose is the behind the scenes Elvis. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be show Elvis. Yep. But I would expect two or three where, you know, you're getting her reaction shots to him like killing it on stage or something like sure, that. You know what right. I mean? I would expect a little bit of that. Exactly. But yeah, yeah only one. Okay. It didn't make that much of a difference for me. I feel like some viewers of that is uh, that's, that's going to be almost a no go. Yeah, you got to be aware uh, what you're walking into. Yeah, almost yeah. in the same way that with Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, how like modern music was infused in that, and that was kind of almost unacceptable. This has kind of a, a vibe in a different way, mm-hmm. you know, sure, a similar aspect. So, uh, sadly, the film has more potential than what unfolds on screen, and I couldn't help but feel uh, it held back a punch. Um, I think uh, the the pacing towards the end collapses. The story plays out alongside with Elvis's career, ending sometime during his decline in Vegas. And I think part of the problem is that the history of their relationship doesn't have a cinematic endpoint, or at least not one that Priscilla has agency in. Mm. Um, I think this would propel into being an excellent film if in the edit we close things up much earlier and on one of the emotional abuse moments as a strategic point instead rather than having it actually play out as a biopic this was unfortunately a rewash of my criticism with Marie Antoinette that I feel in the story in the artistry of the film choose your ending when it hits most instead the biopic the history takes over the runtime too much. Okay, but the problem uh, is, but she, I mean, she's got to stick, Coppola's got to stick with what actually happened. Sure. You know what I mean? And it, it's not a snapshot of time with her, with Elvis. It's supposed to be the full circle. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? I, f- I feel like her, I feel like her hands are tied where the ending is the actual ending that she needs to. Right. Are you saying just lean into other things more, uh, or or just no? I I I don't know. Maybe you know what I mean. It, 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 it you you bring up a good point because it, it if it is going to be a biopic, it has to be this. I guess it, my my mixed feelings on it is that it was achieving some degree of greatness by yeah. not being a biopic, by just being kind of a a this happened to be a celebrity focused examination of these power dynamics in the relationship and was achieving something unique instead. It turns out it is just a biopic. Right. And I think maybe that's a little bit of expectations, but I also think it's what the film builds up in its first half and then abandons, uh, much like okay, Marianne Okay, Internet. gotcha. That's a different story then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is unacceptable what I suggested as far as instead of just ending where things actually end, choosing a specific moment that sticks the most in Priscilla's life and where the emotional abuse becomes too much. And there's a turning point. I feel like that is where I would want things kind of buttoned up a little bit. To, it just it just goes on. Yeah, uh, I would have to see it to talk to, to really. I don't know. I, I'm in a camp where tell it how it happened. Sure. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would be. I think I would be upset if the idea is it ends in one of those heated moments or something like that. Okay. And it ends on a climatic a climatic scene like that. Sure. Because then the question is okay. Well, what about when he died suddenly? What about the <laughs> aftermath of that? It, it, yeah. I would feel really unresolved. <clears throat> yeah, I feel yeah. like true, true. But I uh, yeah, what I, was her role in but, that in, in those moments? Right, but I understand the point of if the first half it were leading towards something, yeah. or it's coming across in a certain way, yeah. and then it just kind of switches, and then 
And I, it's I, just full biopic or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where it's identical to Marie Antoinette. Yeah, that yeah. I feel like, um, at my expectations, my preference aside, what the film actually builds up is abandoned a little bit. Okay, gotcha. Uh, and, and really on that note, for all this examination of power dynamics and toxic behavior, the film really doesn't say anything by the end. Once again... Once again, these uh, biographical aspects of the story become too strong, in my opinion, and it weakens what works best for the experience. Um, that buildup of this hidden tension and that buildup of examining the relationship in probably a way that a relationship has never been with that much of a difference and that much of a variance, uh, it almost uses none of it mm-hmm, in its conclusion. Mm-hmm. I would say it's almost suiting to my experience this week because, speaking honestly, you know, almost all five of these films do not have uh, strong endings. Uh, Sophia's eyes for visuals, tone, and style makes for a breathtaking feel to her films. Uh, Like I've said many times on this episode so far, the frames of her movies are soft and feminine in a way that no other director can come close to. She has the mark. Uh, but I'm sorry to say her stories have a hard time sticking the landing and I, I could not shake it once again here. I think in Priscilla's case, that means we have to see a movie as it concludes. That's as a biopic. I think preference aside, this is a biopic and, and actuality does really go head to head, uh, with, uh, last year's Elvis a, a lot more than I expected. Mm, wow. And that might be the least interesting way to end this story. We're going to go ahead and give Priscilla a 69. Okay, 69%. I mean, not a bad not a bad score. I don't know what to think about that, honestly. Yeah. Elvis was such a big movie last year. It really was. was. It two years ago? No, last uh, year. Yeah, last year. 2022. I just kind of figured that this was a smaller little sister companion piece. Sure. Uh, but it is interesting if it's telling. I would be interested to see that other half of the story. Yeah. That is only so explored right. in, in Elvis from last year. Sure, sure. But, uh, okay, 69%. Not a bad... Not a bad score, though. No, no. I think it was a good movie. I think it is held back, though. Uh, I feel like it could have, like I said, it could have really excelled into or propelled into an excellent film. Yeah. If it just had followed through on what this, what what was in the crosshairs? What was in the sight? Because it was really interesting. And as a topic, as a subject, you can't really say any, I mean, how many relationships can you examine in this way mm-hmm. with the age, with its the king of rock and roll. Yeah. You know what I mean? I felt like that had so much potential and I really try not to knock a film for what it's... I really try not to knock a film for what it's not or, or what I think it should be. I'm, I try to stay sure, away from sure. that. But I there's very something deliberately being built up for half of this movie and then it just kind of becomes Priscilla <laughs> biopic. Okay. So... Okay, interesting. And how was she? Let's just talk about her real quick. Good, good actress. And yeah. Was she killing it? Uh, once again, I, I don't know where she's from. Um, she's not from much. Kaylee Spaney? Yeah. Spaney? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, unlike uh, Scarlett Johansson, not actually as young as she's depicted. Um, right, right. There's a lot of, uh, again, uh, there's, uh, I think in a positive way, there's a lot of visual trickery. Um, she looks like a child in compared to this towering guy. Right, yeah. <clears throat> um, what's his name again? Uh, Monday? Jacob Elordi. Elordi. I don't know why I said Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Lordy. Um, uh, you know, Lordy, Lordy is is towering yeah. next to her. So visually as well in this silhouette, we see this indifference. We see this, uh, you know, this which, separation. Which is good. Uh, yeah. Do you think that she, with the amount of, you know, it's it's her film to own. It's mm. Priscilla. She's the main. Do you think she, this, she'll be talked about come Oscar time? 
Um, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. If I really wanted to take my knives out on this film, uh, Priscilla's story almost gets hijacked by having to tie it to Elvis's bio oh, it's lifestyle. De- oh, it, it's pigeonholed big time. Exactly. But her acting specifically... Of taking the character and run with it, you know, did she feel like she owned it? Did she feel powerful? I think so. In it as far as- I, I think so. I, I don't know about powerful because, again, it's always putting her, you know, dealing with uh, a loose For, cannon. Right, right. But uh, I think it could be a nomination. Certainly not, you know, would get it wouldn't really get my vote for for best performance. Okay, okay, gotcha. Tom right. Daly's that is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also, are you? I'm excited to come up with the, uh, the or hear so, the custom category. I've only you thought knocked I, it out of the park last I year. I know I had. I, I haven't thought of much. I actually just just thought of one the other day, oh, nice, nice. which I think will be a pretty good. Time. But they just came to me last time, so I got to be a little bit creative. Sure. I got to I got to sit down and, and think about it. We still have some more big films to come out too. It's true, very but true. Tom Daly's. I can't believe it's already around the corner, kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, all right. So, apologies to Baz Luhrmann. Took a lot of fire this episode. <laughs> I didn't expect, <laughs> didn't expect as much. I pulled from his early eyes. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm okay with that. I'm not a big fan yeah. of the guy. So, all right, Vince. So, very good. Anything you want to add or uh, roll uh, credits here? Trailer notes. Uh, like yeah, I please. said, dream scenario. Looks like a perfect role for Nick Cage. Uh, is this gets... the one where he's a hitman? No, no, okay. no. This is one where it's, uh, I think it's A24, and... It's it's almost like a very '90s premise. Um, it, he starts. He's like a professor, and he just starts showing up in like everyone's dream. Yeah, this uh, is the one that's that's very good. Apparently, yeah, yeah. Because he plays it. Like I said, he's coming out with two around the same time. Yeah. The other one, he's a hitman oh, really? or a retired really? hitman or something oh, like that. Okay, yeah. Okay. So someone generic like that. But good but trailer. A good trailer. Also, just like again, I think a a a perfect a perfection role for our. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but also a perfect role for Nick Cage because he gets to be like his wiry, yeah. reserved self. But also in these dream segments, he looks like he's going crazy Nick Cage. <laughs> so it's great. When does it come out? This think, year or next year? It's supposed to come out sometime in November, but I was having a hard time finding it. It's almost like a whale where it's like, what theaters is this actually in? Well, that's a very Nick Cage film. Yeah. No, I mean, his films <laughs> yeah. a lot of times do not come but yeah. come out very much. But I know it was making waves throughout the uh, through all the film festivals and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, so, okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, other one, did you see this trailer for Iron Claw? No. Yeah, I mean, talk about striking. Is it a theater release? Or a... No, it's it's theater release. Talk about striking while the iron is hot. Mullets come back, and we suddenly get a wrestling movie with Zach oh, Efron, Efron and the dude from The Bear. I mean, it is. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I remember that. Talk about, like, very strategic timing that this thing has come out. And I mean, you think like, strategic? What do you mean strategic? Timing? Not strategic. Um, uh... A wrestling movie, a boxing movie. You're always going to, like, every three or five years. <laughs> I guess we get it's, one that hits. It, it's the popularity of the dude from the bear. Yeah. I, 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 a big I, fan, by the way. Right, right. Big fan of exactly. Him, yeah. It's it's mullets coming back. It's uh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm telling you, it's it's striking the iron while it's hot. Okay. Like, <laughs> this this is the, that is very strategically fine tuned uh, by the studio. <laughs> okay, excellent. <laughs> um, all right, I, I have one note as well. Yeah. Because I just want to make it known to people who are still listening. Uh, I just want to take back a year ago today. I think we had a very powerful <laughs> episode on the daily. Ratings. Okay. So this is where we covered the All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh yeah. And I was a huge, huge fan. So were you? Yeah. Made it. it made it into best picture. Yeah. Best. Well, be- Tom Daly best picture. It did. I think so. <laughs> That's bad. I don't think it did. I don't. <laughs> um, I don't believe it did actually. <laughs> did it? I think so. 
Okay, but reg- I mean, it got two, uh, recently. It got two shoes, two laces from me. Yes, yes, which is huge, huge. And you, but the point is, you you rated, I think, an eighty-five or something like that. You got yeah. into the must-watches. Yeah, we yeah. really liked that, and we covered the original, was kind of cool as well. But speaking of the Tom Daly's, also we covered Sweet Smell of Success. Mm. So, folks, that was episode fifty-seven. It came out a year ago this week, yeah. and it was a heavy hitter. Sweet Smell of Success, all quiet on the Western Fronts. We did Loving Vincent as well, yeah, which is yeah. a very great indie pick. Sure, with our boy. So. Yeah. If you wanted to check it out, episode 57, some heavy hitters in there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Vin. So with that, thank you so much for watching all these Coppola films, Vin. We appreciate you stopping by here, folks at home. We'll run it down one more time. We have The Virgin Suicides with a 75%, Lost in Translation with a 78%, Marie Antoinette with a 59%, Somewhere with a 39%, and Priscilla with a 69%. Uh, Folks, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. Hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you just had to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you see from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we want to be completely independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast. <laughs>